0: Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the gospel or good news about the Kingdom of God. We invite you to lay aside your other tasks for the next fifteen minutes and give yourself the privilege of concentration on God's divine revelation as we pursue our quest for the secret of immortality. Surely no reasonable person would refuse God's invitation, the invitation which he offered through Jesus Christ, his Son, namely to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Paul, you remember, in Romans 2 spoke of seeking immortality, one of the all-time great falsehoods which has confused a great deal of Bible study, is the notion that we as human beings are innately immortal, that we're born with a kind of spark which has to go on living after we die. That is fundamentally untrue. We are not immortal. We can gain immortality only at the resurrection. First Corinthians 15, verse 50 says it beautifully. Flesh and blood, that's to say you, in your present constitution as a frail mortal human being, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, cannot gain immortality. You must be changed at the resurrection and granted and given immortality at that time. As we prepare to study further in our quest for understanding about the kingdom of God, let me ask you, do you have a definite sense of direction as you make your way through the journey of life? What is the end and the goal of human history? Does mankind have a destiny? Are we destined to wind up as a pile of rotting bones or a little heap of ashes? Well, I invite you to consider these momentous issues for the next few moments as we look at them from a purely biblical point of view and precisely from the point of view of Jesus' gospel of the kingdom. From time immemorial, man has dreamed of a golden age. The Latin poet Virgil sang of a time when the world would be delivered from its sufferings and enjoy a renewed age of peace and prosperity. I wonder if you know that the Bible is simply filled with the question and the issue of the future of our world. The Bible is not interested in what happens in some super-celestial area in heaven, although, of course, God is said to be resident in heaven, and the Son of God is now at his right hand in heaven. But in terms of human destiny, the Bible is not at all interested in placing you in a super-celestial area as a disembodied soul. That's a notion which is entirely foreign to Scripture. The Bible, however, is deeply interested in the future of our world and your personal future, in relation to the future of our world. The Hebrew Christian faith expresses its hope in terms of the kingdom of God, and by Hebrew Christian faith I mean the faith of Jesus, who was a Hebrew, who was a Jew. I mean the faith of the apostle Paul and the other apostles, all of whose teaching was firmly and deeply embedded and rooted in the Hebrew Bible what we regrettably call the Old Testament. Now, the kingdom of God is something that we do not yet see. It's something we're waiting for and hoping for, according to the Bible. The biblical hope is at the very heart of revealed religion. Now, the thing is that Jesus' gospel of the kingdom, the axis around which all of his teaching revolves, has to do with that hope of the coming of the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God idea is embedded and thoroughly grounded in the Old Testament, what we really should call the Hebrew Bible. Not the Old Testament strictly, because it's most relevant to us. It's not obsolete. It's not passé. It has to do with our salvation as Christians today. And that hope of the coming of the kingdom in the future gives us confidence that there is indeed an eternal God who has revealed his great purpose to us and is working that purpose out here in this planet. May I give you one of the great keys to understanding and relating to that plan. The God who is working out his plan in this earth is the God who is working it out in conjunction with Israel. Well, you may say, of what relevance is that to me, since I am not part of Israel how can I relate to God's plan with Israel? Now, the answer to that question is very simple. By being involved with Jesus Christ, by coming into union with him, you become part of what the New Testament calls the Israel of God, God's Israel. Look at it in Galatians 6, verse 16. Therefore, says that the new creation in Christ, those who become part of the body of Christ, constitute God's Israel the Israel of God. It's entirely false to the Bible to suppose that the term Israel means only ethnic Jews now living in the land of Israel in the Middle East. That's not true to the biblical records. Now Israel in the New Testament certainly can mean that and does mean that sometimes. In other words, Israel has two distinct meanings. It can indeed refer to the ethnic Jew at present unconverted. But the primary meaning of the term Israel in the New Testament is the people of God, that combined group of Jews and Gentiles who are Christians, who together form what is known as the body of Christ or the Christian church. Now, very tragically, Bible readers tend to be polarized on this essentially simple issue of the meaning of the term Israel. It's quite unnecessary for this to happen, Both camps are in fact right, and both camps are partly wrong. The expression Israel of God in Galatians 6.16 designates the people of the new creation in Christ. But the word Israel may also refer to the unconverted Jew living in the land of Israel. Now, according to Romans chapter 11, there is in the prophetic forecast a grand future for ethnic Israel, that Israel which is at present unconverted, there's going to be a collective national conversion of a remnant of Jewish people at a future time, consequent upon the second coming of Jesus. At that time, Jews will indeed also become what is now called the Israel of God, the true church. They will at that time cease to be just Jews or ethnic Israel, and they will join that great body of the church which is known now as the Israel of God, Galatians 6, verse 16. It's important then to distinguish those two different meanings for the term Israel, on the one hand the church, and secondly, ethnic Israel, which is destined to have a future connected with its national conversion at the time of the return of Jesus Christ to this earth, at his second coming. If you will look at the end of Romans chapter 11, you will see that Paul has been wrestling with the notion that his people, the Jews, are at the time of Paul's preaching largely blinded. They are not generally accepting Jesus as their Messiah. Now he does not excuse them for their blindness, but as he looks forward in his vision of the future, based, by the way, on the Old Testament, He sees that the time is coming when Israel, the nation of Israel, will be converted as a national unit. He speaks of a time coming when, and I quote, all Israel will be saved. At the end of Romans 11, you will find this great conclusion. In those verses, Paul is not talking about the church as it exists now. He's talking about a group of people who, when he wrote, were blinded They were not then part of the body of Christ, the church. They were blinded by the hardness of their hearts. They were the people of ethnic Israel who had generally not accepted Jesus as their Messiah. But Paul encourages his audience by telling us that there is indeed coming a time when that blinded ethnic Israel, at least a remnant of them, will become saved and therefore part of the true Israel of God. Now, that's a matter of prophecy, which will be fulfilled in its own good time, in due time, in the future. You will find that whole discussion in Romans chapter 11. But don't forget that the term Israel refers now to the church in Galatians 6, verse 16. And also in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 3, Paul speaks of the church, that's to say the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile alike, as the true circumcision, that's to say, the true Jews. Do you realize that in becoming a Christian, you become a member of the commonwealth of Israel, you take on a Jewish heart, the heart of Jesus himself, who of course was a Jew. So God's plan is indeed with Israel. But we can be thankful as Gentiles that we are able to be inducted into that people of spiritual Israel. We can become, as Paul said, grafted into the olive tree, which is Israel. You'll find that also in Romans 10 and 11. But Paul cautions us Gentiles not to become proud. We'd better recognize that the origin and source of our faith is the Hebrew Bible, the religion revealed by God through the prophets of Israel and brought to fulfillment and completion in the teaching of Jesus as the Messiah. So what is this teaching which is rooted in the Hebrew Bible? What is the basis for biblical hope? Well, it's contained in Jesus' famous gospel about the kingdom. All the prophets of the Hebrew Bible announced that a day was coming when the problems of human society, which we now experience, will be ultimately solved. Even the evils of the environment will be redressed and put right, peace and safety and security are going to prevail across this globe. We read of this in Isaiah, for example, in chapter 2 and verse 4. There we find pictured, in beautiful terms, a day coming when the nations are going to beat their swords into farm implements and not learn war anymore. Now that's an event to happen on this earth, plainly. We're not talking there about some invisible heaven far removed from the planet. No, the biblical hope is always related to the future of our earth. There's coming a time when nations will cease to behave as they do now. There will be peace and security prevailing throughout society. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6, we will find that nature itself will respond to this new condition of harmony among the nations. Even the nature of wild animals will be miraculously changed. They will become docile, or perhaps docile, as I should pronounce it in America, and little children will be able to play with what are now poisonous snakes, and lions and lambs and goats and tigers and other animals will be able to coexist harmoniously, and their present vicious and ferocious natures will be altered as a reflection of the altered condition that will then exist amongst human beings. Now, if you're in any doubt about that grand and wonderful future which the Bible portrays for us, read it for yourself in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, particularly the section which describes the time coming when international disarmament will occur across our earth. It's amazing to me that some systems of theology seem reluctant to accept this actual and real and concrete and external condition of peace coming here on this earth. Peace indeed will prevail in the coming kingdom of God. We invite you to request our free book on the kingdom of God, check our findings carefully in your own Bible at home, and join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' famous and favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.